The following Dharma talk was given by monastic Shoan Ankele at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shoan is a Dharma holder in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is given free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thank you for listening. How are you doing right now, I wonder? What I want to talk about is how we can use whatever is arising in our life to help free ourselves. And I will focus on the struggle and suffering aspects of our life and how we might use them. To begin with, I would like to share a recent dream just fresh from last week. It was um, a teaching dream for me on exactly this subject. So in the dream, I was here at the monastery with all of the the residents. And there was a um, very bad vibe in the air Like, there was something wrong. There was some kind of problem. There was some kind of, like, situation. It was a a general sense of just, like, negativity. And I I wasn't clear about what the problem was. I, I couldn't tell. Like, am I trying to do something and it's not working? Or is it that other people are doing things and it's going all wrong? Did somebody screw up somewhere? What, what was the matter? I couldn't tell, but it was not a good situation. And then I was in a circle with all of the residents, like we do sometimes. It's been a while. <laughs> um, a big circle kind of facing each other, and I could feel that we were going to do something about the situation. That's why we were all gathered together. And then I also had this... Um, kind of disorienting feeling, like that kind of feeling you get when you can tell like everybody else knows something, but you don't know it. And so I'm feeling this mix of like, wait, what's going on? And wait, everybody else seems to know something, but I don't know it. And, and, and what's the problem? And then one of the residents, kind of out of nowhere, like busts out with, you are the grumpy one. My immediate reaction in the dream was like, at first, just like defensiveness. Like, wait, what? What? Me? It's me? Like, I'm the grumpy one? I'm the pro, what? But as, as quickly as my defensiveness came in, I kind of could look around the circle and see that everyone was nodding. It was true. It was me. I was the grumpy one. And when I realized that, and in the dream, when I could kind of accept it, I felt a sense of exhilaration. Like, oh, oh. Oh, I'm the grumpy one, the negativity, the problem, the situation. I thought it was out here, but it's me. It's me. 
And I felt actually very grateful in the dream because I knew it couldn't have been easy to sort of let me know that so directly. And when I woke up from the dream, it was like I had received a teaching. And let me tell you, it just so happens that last week was a bit of a rough week for me. And I was feeling a little bit cranky, or um, to use Yudo's word, brittle, Um, just like irritated. And I felt like Eureka, and I came down the hill, and I, I had to write down the message. And so on a scrap of paper in my locker, I just wrote, you are the grumpy one with a heart. It really helped. And then pretty much as soon as uh, silence was lifted and we could speak, I, I turned to Yusin in the locker room and I was like, can I tell you this dream that I had? So, um, this recognition, you know, that um, phrase in my dream is actually very reminiscent to me of um, a phrase that appears in the Zen literature, the troublemaker is, after all, you. And the two don't mean exactly the same thing, um, but there's a pointing to the source. So as we begin to see into this, we gain such a powerful way of understanding our struggle and then working with our minds we can see, oh, it's my struggle. I have to take care of it. I have to take care of it. My suffering is my suffering. I have to take care of it. And of course, This teaching does not mean that problems or negative situations don't exist. Of course they do. But they always exist in a relative way. Meaning, they exist from how we relate to them. They are always emerging from our mind, and our mind meeting the causes and conditions that are arising. In a sense, this is what is meant by emptiness, that the causes and conditions and our own mind are all totally one flow. And so if we're struggling, The conventional view, of course, is, okay, there's something wrong. Let me go fix it. Like in my dream, there's something wrong. What is it? What is it? How do I fix it? 
But then within Dharma practice, we turn that back to ourselves. We understand that we are a big part of the experience we're having. We don't need to change everything out there to feel relief, ease, peace of mind. We can just begin with changing this. And in a sense, it's not so much about changing this as clarifying our confusion. Things appear in a negative light because of my mind. Things appear in a beautiful, radiant light because of my mind. And guess what? I can train my mind. When we speak about the flow of energy and the flow of energy being obstructed, all we have to do is remove the obstruction. Then things will naturally flow. We don't have to like do extra work to like make things flow. <laughs> They're already flowing. So our um, task is very workable. I was thinking of that. Um, Gokhan and I were in the Adirondacks a couple of weeks ago, and um, there's a, a pond at the place where we were staying that I've been um, going to. It's a little cabin in the woods that my family has. And the pond was extremely, extremely high because of beaver activity. And so I made it a project to un unplug the beaver dam. And it was so incredible. I mean, it's like, you know, a small pond and a small beaver dam. But even so, just like, I, I was like in, you know, in, in, in water up to my waist, like pulling things out of this culvert that they had completely jammed up, which is the normal effluent for the dam. And like, at first it seemed like there's no way. In fact, it seemed kind of crazy to even attempt it. It just looked like a wall of sheer like mud. Um, but I went in there and I started to sort of move things around and then I could hear a trickle. I thought, oh, it's not hopeless. And then with a little bit more effort, whoosh, and then whoosh, and the pond in the course of a day dropped like a foot, the whole pond. It's not that small. It was kind of impressive. I was surprised, actually, at how effective it was. And all day, the water just kept flowing whoosh, out. No one had to do anything. I kept being astonished that like far reaches of the pond, the water was also going down. <laughs> As if it would be local right there next to the effluent. So we can train our mind. And the Tibetan um, word for mind training, lojong, is interesting because um, uh, in this case, the word that is used for mind, um, lo in Tibetan, is used in a slightly, it's a slightly different word than you would use to talk about like the nature of mind or this kind of thing. It means more like attitude or perspective. 
So we might think of training the mind as a way of um, uh, Alan Wallace, B. Alan Wallace says, you might think of it as um, refining your attitude. So our normal view is that we see ourself as ourself and the world as outside of us. And when things get, go wrong, we get upset and we think, okay, well, all of these things are to blame. And I remember a number of years ago, there was a resident who was really struggling and um, uh, having a lot of anger about kind of like the way their life was here at the monastery. And um, they were speaking about it a lot, and I was finding it like very upsetting and thinking like, gosh, they have a point, like this isn't so great, and this isn't so great, and it was really stirring me up. And I remember talking to Hojen about it, and Hojen was like, yeah, well, they're externalizing. And I was like, what? And Hojen was like, they're externalizing. They're, they're taking everything that's going on here, and they're putting it out. It's so hard to see the degree and the extent to which we do that. But the teachings, the view, if you will, the perspective that we can train ourselves to see is that everything is interdependent. We run into trouble, the dam arises, the flow gets blocked, when we solidify. And I think that Sayin used the word um, solidification, solidify, in, in her talk. So things are not solid, but they appear solid. And in large part, they appear solid because of how we see them. In a sense, you could say that it's our conceptual mind that makes things appear solid, that conceptualizes everything. So thoughts and ideas and opinions and judgments, these are all concepts. And there is nothing in the world wrong with concepts. Concepts deliver amazing things. I mean, even like Dharma practice would be impossible if it weren't for concepts. So it's not that like concepts equal bad. It's just that we mistake a concept for actual true reality. And then we're going to run into some pain. So part of our zazen becomes a practice of learning to see into concepts. It's a concept. It's an idea. It's a thought. It's not real. Isn't it incredible how like difficult that is to see? I remember one really stark moment, and I think I've shared about it in the past. Um, it was kind of early on in my practice. It was during session. And I was, you know, sitting on my seat, thinking about something, I have no idea what. And then, like, I realized, like, oh, my God, that's not actually happening. 
<laughs> I'm just sitting here on my seat, like breathing, and I have a whole world going on in my mind. And that sounds like, oh yeah, no big deal. Yeah, 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 we know. But the thing is, is that whole world going on in our mind is happening at such a deep and subtle level that it's so hard to see. It's so easy to miss. So we're seeing into concepts and we're inquiring, we're looking, we're asking. And of course, one of the big fat concepts we get to work with is me. really thinks that their self is just a concept. Come on. I feel so real to myself. And, and I am real to myself. In fact, this, this reminds me, you know, we had a, a, an amazing um, Mondo kind of question and answer with Shugen Roshi and Philip, who's here in re- residence. Um, the week before session, and Philip has been studying uh, Zen and the brain and neuroscience, and so was speaking about um, his discoveries about consciousness and self from that perspective, and Roshi was offering Dharma perspective, and we got to ask some questions. And um, I asked a question about the... Um, you know, where does the sort of the illusory self come from? I was asking Philip, I was curious about uh, his understanding. And um, his explanation was very interesting, but I'm not going to go into that now. You can ask him on Sunday at breakfast. Um, But what I was struck by was at the first moment that he could, Shugan interjected to say the sense of an illusory, the illusory sense of a permanent independent self. So whenever we use this language of illusory, it behooves us to appreciate we're talking about reality having two aspects. One is what we speak of as the relative, me and you. And one is what we speak of as the absolute, beyond all concepts know me, know you. So this sense of an illusory, permanent, independent self. Thrangu Rinpoche, who um, incidentally, oh no, never mind, I thought he was the teacher who were studying for Ango, but he's not. Um, Thrangu Rinpoche, another Tibetan teacher, says what we have what we have seen before is that we project a global idea of I onto what is in fact many, many different things. So that when we look for the I, we cannot find it. We project this sense of I, this concept, onto a whole host of experiences, some long past, some anticipated thoughts, ideas, opinions, sensations. But if we really look, 
we can't find it. I love this image of um, projecting this idea onto what is, in fact, many, many things. And <laughs> what I thought of is when I was a kid, I was a total, I had such a messy room. I mean, it would get to the point where, like, you couldn't see the floor. I just had, like, papers and stuffed animals and just, like, clothes all over. And I would inevitably, it would sort of escalate into a confrontation with my parents who were like, you have to clean your room. You can't do, go to just, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that until you clean your room. And I would get really angry and stubborn and refuse and we'd be at an impasse. And... Um, uh, this is not the point of the story, but just to mention that my, my father discovered the skillful means, which was bribery. <laughs> and I can still call to mind the blue index card that he wrote down in his inimitable handwriting with one of his special pens, where it said, pick up all the clothes equals one Coke. Pick up all the clothes and vacuum one Coke plus one Twinkie. <laughs> it totally worked. He would make a checkbox next to each one so I could check it off, and then I would like bring it to get my goods. <laughs> anyway, before that, they tried the clothes tree. It seemed like a good solution. Like, look, instead of just throwing your clothes on the ground, hang them on the clothes tree. It's easy. You don't have to use a hanger. You don't have to deal with the drawers. It's going to be like a good middle way. And so the clothes tree came in, and soon it became a mountain. I just threw everything onto the clothes tree until it was so overburdened. It was in danger of tipping and falling. You couldn't even tell it was a clothes tree. It just looked like a big pile of clothes. And so that's what came to mind when I thought of the self, that we're just like, that feeling, ah, that's myself. Just toss it on the clothes tree of self. Like, oh, that sensation, ah, yeah, that's myself too. <laughs> And this grows. It grows. Mary Oliver, in one of her poems, has this incredible line. And now I understand something so frightening and wonderful, how the mind sticks to the road it knows, rushing through crossroads, sticking like lint to the familiar. So we start a groove. We don't even start a groove. We just start with a certain tendency. Not even a certain tendency. We just start, and it becomes a tendency, a groove. I, me, mine. I, me, mine. I, me, mine. I, me, mine. So how do we desolidify? How do we open the great desolidifier, the great melter, if you will, is love. Compassion, we say the warmth of the heart, kindness, 
For a long time, and still, I am really interested. There are lots of places in the teachings where you hear about the unity of compassion and emptiness. And I'm so interested in that. I think that must be, you must be able to understand it in different ways. But I see in just the way that compassion seems so close in there somehow with that interdependent flow. And of course, we have to start with ourself, self-compassion. We have to start with ourself. I think about my cranky week, how I could have said to myself, okay, dear, I see you are in a really bad mood today. And I recognize that this pain arises from numerous causes and conditions, way too subtle to see all the way into. And you will never transform all of those external conditions. It isn't possible, but you can begin with your mind. Just do your best. Just do your best to be present with your life as it is, even though you're grumpy. Because everything is interdependent, because there are so many subtle causes and conditions coming together, because our mind is kind of like the central headquarters of the whole thing, Maybe headquarter is not a good word to use in this case, because it's definitely not about your head. It's about your whole being, and you don't even know where that ends. But because you are a big part of these causes and conditions, your experience and your capacity to influence, shift, mature, evolve your experience, Because of this, we are so powerful. Sayan mentioned how um, everything we do, every action, so important. And when we look from this view of emptiness, interdependence, we can see. And don't you just know that? How like one thing can just tip your mind. I have been so touched by the way Jiryu puts out the chairs for people on the Doksan line. <laughs> I don't know why, but just like she like looks, she knows who she's going to call. She like gets the chair. If you're sitting on a little stool, she gets a stool. She puts it all out there. And I have been like, shaken from my self-absorption to sort of take that in. One little thing. What's going on? How is that possible? And if we start to understand how that's possible, what then becomes available to us? 
So this warmth, kindness, compassion, self-compassion, love, all of this comes in when we feel our resistance. So when we notice our own pain, when we notice our own struggle, even to practice it within the body, to ask yourself, where am I feeling this resistance? Can I actually find it? Where is the hardening? Where is the solidification? We hold body and mind are one reality. When we're like cranking like that, we're holding it. It's actually there, maybe subtle, but if we learn to pay attention, we can find it. Learn to pay subtle attention and then warm and open Nothing aggressive, just presence, just our own presence. Just bring your awareness right there, right here. And then stay. Don't try to fix it. Don't go running off somewhere. Don't go to Bali. Just stay. Because there's nothing solid, when you do that, you stop moving, you stop creating. When you do that, settle. It opens. Relaxes. So often, I think, we can hear teachings on emptiness and feel a little bit of fear arise. And some of it is translation. I don't know, you know. Early, I think this word, shunyata, was was translated as like the void and voidness. And I don't really have a better alternative, but that sounds scary. And who wants to be empty? That sounds kind of terrible. (laughs) So we have to again and again remember, like, this is beyond our concepts. And the language is just a pointer. Like, bear with it. Bear with it. And instead, trust your heart and your feelings and your work with your own mind, your work with your teacher. Trust that. Because actually... It's this emptiness that is so liberative. It's this emptiness that means we can have a heart full of love. And that this emptiness is about life in the relative world. It is not about just like shutting down, freezing out, and like getting away from the problems at all. It's so you can have your life with all the phenomena. There are two truths. Roshi was saying the other day, I think in our monastic study, and he said it on other occasions, that we hear, um, maybe it was in a talk, I don't remember, maybe it was both, (laughs) Um, that we hear absolute and relative, and we think like, yeah, relative, I'm so over that. I'm going for the absolute. And it's like, no, 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 no. Your life is 
always going to be here with all of us, really. <laughs> but you can understand what that means. And that's going to be a game changer. You are the grumpy one. So then looking to see who, who is this you? Can I just be with my feelings instead of defending, instead of aggressing, instead of trying to fix? What happens? How does the struggle cease? How does relaxation begin to blossom? I was um, thinking of uh, this recent memory, actually, of um, my nephew, little wee Miles, who is um, two years old and who I just saw for the first time um, since the pandemic. Uh, I don't know, a month ago probably, just about. And um, I uh, went down to see my brother and his girlfriend and the baby. And um, we were going to go out, the grown-ups were going to go out to dinner, and a babysitter was coming. And so Annie, um, my brother's girlfriend, was putting Miles to bed. And it's like a bit of a production, and they have to, like, you know, like coax him and rock him and then soothe him and read him stories, and it takes a long time. And he'd, like, had a late nap, so it was really taking a long time. And um, then you, like, put him in the crib, and then you, like, tiptoe out, and you hope he doesn't wake up. Well, um, my brother and I were chatting, meanwhile, and then finally Annie came downstairs, and she said, you know, he's not asleep, but he's quiet. He's just, like, lying there in his crib. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, you want to see? And she, like, pulls out her phone, of course, <laughs> and there's, like, an app or something that has, like, the camera from his bedroom, so you can, like, check on the... <laughs> check on the baby. So I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll see. Felt a little voyeuristic, but you know. Um, and sure enough, there is little Miles just lying in his crib. His eyes were open. He was looking around. He looked so peaceful. So at ease. So in this world, how can we be so at ease? I was thinking about how because everything is workable, and because, as Roshi Daito, Roshi used to say, this body and mind are the body and mind of the whole universe. There is a way in which this very teaching of emptiness is really the most generous, loving teaching. 
So thinking of little Miles lying in his crib, thinking of being rocked ourselves by arising and vanishing, arising and vanishing, the constant flow. Can we just relax? Here is a lullaby for you. Guess what it starts with, my dear. Guess what it starts with, my dear. We are here in the cradle of emptiness. We are rocking in the cradle of emptiness. Stop fussing and wailing and fighting to stand. It's all washing away like castles of sand. And there's nothing to hold to. So open your hand. Relax with the movement. There's no master plan. We're here in the cradle of emptiness. We're rocking in the cradle of emptiness. Released from your burden, there's no you in you. You're not separate at all. That's the point. That's the view. There's no need to struggle, nothing to subdue. Relax with the movement, enjoy passing through. We're here in the cradle of emptiness. Rocking in the cradle of emptiness. This cradle can sway like the leaves in a breeze. Sometimes it rocks hard, we collapse to our knees. It can awe us with thrills like a flying trapeze. Just relax with the movement, you'll soon be at ease. We're here in the cradle of emptiness. We're rocking in the cradle of emptiness. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as meditation cushions, incense, malas, liturgical instruments, books, and more, visit the Monastery Store at monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.